the spookiest time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. Listeners, welcome back to 31 for 31, a Halloween movie podcast. We are keeping you in the spirit. We are on the 28th day, Thursday night. We're about to roll into Halloween weekend. Are you ready? You better be. Yes. We are ju- <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Turn We're the knob, open the door. We're there. Step right in. <laughs> we have just cracked open a very deep case of crazy wildness right now. And we are jumping into this weekend with 1977's Japanese horror, comedy, wild effects bonanza house from Nobuiko Obayashi. And what are our names, sir? Well, your name is, uh, by this point, I've gotten it down to it's either Jack Sparrow, <laughs> Jack Crane, or... Cody Jonathan Mason. Crane. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think I am Cody Mason. You are Chris Boniello. Let's confuse the listeners with that. But I think we have to come back and I re-listened to the Sleepy Hollow episode. We never made a Jonathan Crane scarecrow connection, which you know, we didn't at all. Is and that's tough. That's <laughs> tough. But who's this third uh third loser with us today? Uh that would be me. Jamie Bonstown. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Can you say it with less confidence <laughs> of who you are? Who that, are you? That, oh, who me? <laughs> you know, 28, 28 days of this, I thought I'd, I'd get a better, uh, you know, <laughs> I thought I'd moniker than up to the this other loser. Yeah. No, uh, I'm Jamie Lansdowne. Definitely the melody of the group here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, well, that that that's a question that will be asked. But I mean, this movie... I think is probably best contained by dealing with it plot for plot. But I mean, so much of this is just Google image search or YouTube video search moments. It's kind of like uh, like Troll 2 in that way, where it's like, I'd say the whole is definitely the sum of, better than the sum of its parts. But I think it's best known for just like images or jiffable moments that are just like, so wild visually that there's just a reputation of this movie being a fever dream all the time, you know, when it's discussed. Yeah, and definitely this one, I think this one more than a lot of of the general films on this list, it's it's really worth watching before you're listening to it. Anything you say isn't going to give any sort of justice to how crazy the effects and the visual are, how much effects, matte painting, early roto work, and, and, and just wildness that's all over the frame that it's just hard to explain because it hits these moments between cheesy effects that are supposed to be cheesy and then stuff that's pretty complicated in terms of camera tricks that if you say the way the finger is played on the piano and then the piano closes but there's a snap cut there to blood it it doesn't really work as much as how visceral a lot of these moments are yeah Yeah. and i mean it's something where like i'm a big blue screen fan you know very jason the argonauts inspired (laughs) moments here but like it's an interesting layered very 
cognizant approach from the director to have things that purposefully look bad that are hard to do. Like, it's not just like a, you know, the equivalent of doing something in Microsoft Paint. It's the equivalent of spending hours in Adobe Premiere Pro and After Effects to make (laughs) something look amateurish, which is a very unique way of constructing something like this with, you know, a lot of intention while it still looks purposefully childlike, which is, I don't know, very, that's why it stands apart. That's why we got the criterion for this. There's a lot to read into It's very similar to... Uh, less so in tone, but in terms of, of what you're saying with effects and style, like what uh, Doug Lucenhop does for Tim and Eric and, and you know, Dr. Steve Brule stuff and anything like that, where it can really fall apart if you don't hit those effects. They have to be true to what they are and they have to work on that weird line between not being cheesy and just completely decorative and having some meaning within the frame. And this movie really bounces that tightrope, goes all over the place with it and the the plot itself is pretty simple it's it's a group of girls who are enjoying their summer vacation and they're going to go travel to one of the classmates aunt's country home because of some things she's dealing with one could even say country house yeah but i think (laughs) i think i think the aunt really makes it a home yeah that's true just as much as the title card says this is a film I think that this house is (laughs) a home. home. Yeah. (laughs) I bet viewers, whoever were first watching this, were probably like, what the fuck are we watching? Like, how does this connect in any way to Halloween for the first 20 minutes? Both. Which is, I think. (laughs) 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 It's like this crazy, like you said, like fever dream. Even before they get to the house, it's already like super stylized. The stuff in the high school is like the videos you watched on Laserdisc in your like French or Spanish class where it was trying to like replicate what kids were like, but it was made (laughs) by a French educational company where it's just like crazy edits and crazy dynamics. Um, it, that just feels so stilted in this really bizarre way. <laughs> yeah, it also had a shot that stood out to me early on where they do a really nice frame within a frame, hard squares. And that was such an editing style, I feel like, of the past five years with every Vice video or branded content that came out that was trying to be street smart that had, you know, a little square frame within a frame moving around a couple of things where I'm like, ah, oh, and they did it so well. They have a match cut at the end of it that just is awesome. It's like, uh, it's just it's just great. This some of it's just inspiring to see some of these these edits and know how practically these had to have been done. And I think that that leads me to my think piece that all SpawnCon of the 2010s was inspired by 1977's House. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll read that on my Medium page. You know, <laughs> yeah, Vanity Fair will pick it up. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. But I mean, there's no lack of imagination on the screen, and just <laughs> I'm sure you guys have read the Wikipedia page just to do some you know, small internet research on the side, but man, <laughs> just to make sure full. I didn't have a stroke midway through this movie and imagine <laughs> the rest of it. But just, there is so many just hilarious tidbits about like the production of this film and like what, how it came about and how the director, well, a, it was inspired by jaws. Apparently like right. they well, wanted they asked to, make- him, Toho asked him to write something similar to jaws. You know, <laughs> the, like, the, I the got Japanese, <laughs> the Japanese film market had gone from, this moment of prestige in the 60s, and then you hit the 70s and you get all these American blockbusters taking over. So they were like, it was like, hey, you know, Godzilla's getting cheesy. We're, we're kind of falling apart. No one's watching this stuff. Make us our Jaws. <laughs> and then 
The cat this, has shark sure, teeth at yeah. times. No directors were interested in directing the film as they felt it would end their career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Straight to director jail with you. And they were... Toho is tired of losing money on comprehensible films and were ready to let Obayashi direct the house script, which they felt was incomprehensible. I like that that's the <laughs> yeah. binary. Like, we have this stack of scripts, which is our comprehensible correct collection, and then we have yeah. this one script. Yeah, it's uh, that's fair enough. It's it's done so well. And I mean, I, I can't imagine being a director and being handed the script or vice versa. I think only Obayashi could have achieved this it, it's much it's very much a singular vision and and from looking at some of those production notes he, he talked to his daughter he got ideas from her and just wrote them down and, and threw them in as as bang 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 you've got these imageries hitting and and those kind of childlike memories happening and it i don't know it's just it's it's a very much a singular vision i can't imagine being handed the script yeah, you, you just read it read it on page. yeah <laughs> sprung from his daughter's like childlike imagination of just like what if what if a piano ate this person's fingers? Yeah, like, it's if- like a three-year-old's doodle. Like, you know, yeah. it's just like, yeah, the T-Rex is over here and then RoboCop's over here and this <laughs> piano has a face. And it's like, sure, put that all on film, double it, you know? So I'm, uh, I think it's a lot like, um, you know, in this tradition of reevaluations or kind of like cult status elevations of maybe something like, Jack Woods's Equinox from 1970, which like watches like a trash film, but has a Criterion release. You know, like I think it's something where you could put this on and think it's like this is like Green Slime or you know just some other random B movie. But I think after a minute, you'd realize like no, wait a minute, like there's something very, very strikingly different here that almost starts to feel like late or mid-stage David Lynch of just kind of the deconstruction of things that basically make it feel like a soap opera at times, but a self-aware one that, based off of that self-awareness, can get away with more crazy moments later. Like, it's it's and off can, that wheelhouse. And filled, yeah. filled with this undertone of darkness that is more on the surface in a Lynch film where, where it's, it's hitting tonal moments, especially in the audio design and sound design and sound effects, whereas here... There's this darkness and this weight that the older generation isn't dealing with and the younger generation is a little bit ambivalent too. And and it, it creeps in and out in these brief moments of edits that are pretty astounding. I, I felt as, a, as an editor watching these and it definitely hit much more the second time watching this. I, the first time I saw this was much more of a fun, let's put it on, this is crazy, this is wild. This time it was just me watching it alone, sitting down, knowing the general craziest moments and the scenes that are going to show up in all the, you know, gifs online and not waiting for those and trying to pay more attention to the story and seeing what's in there. And, and it really hit me the, the story that this girl is going to go visit her aunt and she hadn't seen her in so long. And the, and the aunt was supposed to have this wonderful life in this house with her husband who died in world war two. And, and you get these brief moments Early on, where I think the first time watching it, it just washed over me. I was waiting for when's the when's the crazy stuff going to start. Whereas this this first almost entire half of the film really hit me a lot more on this this rewatch as as a build up, even in conversation with other Toho films like the original Godzilla, where on the surface it's a monster movie, but it's much more a reaction to the state of Japan post World War Two. 
Yeah, and specifically with Godzilla, like directly addressing Hiroshima, which is just like something that if you if you think about that based off the gifs that you've seen, you're like, what? You know, but it really is just a movie about like the older generation having a resentment for the carefree nature of a younger generation that didn't have to deal with like one of the great cosmic level horrors of all of human history, you know, and that materializes in a haunted house that eats up the younger generation so mm-hmm. i think it totally hit for me this time where i was like oh okay this is directed by someone who grew up in hiroshima and had friends die got it got it got it got it got it yeah got i mean it. what the lynch connection that you brought up like this could very well have been placed in our mixtape right after mahal and drive if you think about it like there's a lot of shared themes like certainly i just have too much respect for our listeners sanity to do that too. that's a tough that's a tough but even the back. that opening scene of mahal and drive the flashback maybe dream of like the sock hop like those kind of yeah. weird overlapping dance edits. segment certainly there's a direct line between the visuals in this movie and something like that yeah where it's that like same kind of cheesy, blue screen kitschy, chroma key yeah, yeah, yeah nonsense looking thing but with good purpose you know good purpose yeah good yeah. intentions i i yeah, just and, think and we see that on the screen on, from the start no i was just talking about this this shift in it where you see you know we're talking about the early beginning of it and then you start to see the darkness kind of kind of creep in and then you get more of these effects that on the surface seem cheesy and then are kind of disturbing the way the edges of people start to bleed in and out and have noise and from the blue screen where i mean you could have cleaned it up if you wanted to and you didn't for a reason and it almost watching it now feels like this weird way to portray radiation and dealing with you know, the atomic bomb especially hit me in the the mirror scene where she is about halfway through, you know, becoming other generations in her family. And I, I was like, oh, this feels almost like a little, you know, one shot Bergman mirror <laughs> situation. This means it, something. <laughs> and then and then you get her bursting into flames out of nowhere. And, and it's just like, oh, that. That's kind of the craziness of dealing with, a, you know, people who have reactions to nuclear bombs. It's you were going about your normal life. None of none of that made any sense why this happened. Now everything is on fire and it's just chaos. Yeah, that's that's the tough line to be able to realize, you know, probably have, I think it serves this movie that it's like played as a comedy that, you know, there's no degree of like a laugh at situation like it lets you laugh with at a lot of these moments so that by 75 percent of the way through you can be like very disturbed when the characters are still laughing on screen as they're like dissolving and that's when it starts to become an actually disturbing horror movie for me where it's like i'm just so unused to this camera style i'm so used to the editing style the plot is all over the place i have no comfort level with what's happening to our characters and what's going on with their, you know, inevitable deaths and their reactions to them don't make sense. And then the, all those images combined with that setup just makes it very easy to get a little tense and, and actually start to feel what a horror movie should make you feel like for the last 25%. And that's why I think it succeeds uh, despite, you know, having a setup where people are like, oh, come on, like, could I ever really <laughs> feel chilled by this experience? Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah you could. Yeah, it, it feels like the craziest 
most fun haunted house house party thing you could go to but then at the end of it you sit down with your therapist and start talking <laughs> and you're like oh shit yeah that did actually that meant a lot yeah oh wait that scene that yeah i was laughing at earlier yeah that's that's deep in, inside me and it's painful and that's kind of why i think i mean like modern audiences are a little more receptive and appreciative of movies like this and it's i mean this movie got a wide release in Amer- in north america like 10 years ago, I think. And I think there was like a more of a reevaluation of like, okay, what is this? What is this actually about? Is this just like a silly nonsense or is there something really happening under the surface? And, you know, I think most people agree that there is like an actual like structure and meaning to what is happening. And yes, it is something like Cody, I like how you put it. Like it is something that you laugh with, not laugh at, but it does kind of twist the knife a little bit as it goes along. It feels like a, a a pop-up book that you're reading to almost like a child to explain what's going on in Japan post-World War II and, and these kind of reactions of different generations. And my first watch was like as a kid, like, oh, this is hilarious. And there's all these crazy effects, these amazing moments. And then the second time watching it, I'm now the adult reading it back going, Oh man, there's there's a lot to deal with here, and I don't know how I'm ever supposed to tell you this. So here is a funny cat. <laughs> here is a rotoscope cat jumping out of a painting. Blanche, love Blanche. Blanche, yeah. Hey, you know what? If you want a disturbing, you know, psychological pop up book. You know, the Babadook is not going to make it on this list, but at least you could. Read that. <laughs> so, but I think, yeah, speaking of this list, Spoilers like, I think this one nights. works. Yeah, it's just Baba and Duke. But uh, I think this works because, again, taking the the youthful, gleeful, gleeful is when one of my, you know, most repeated words in this podcast for a reason element of this movie mixed with the, you know, stepping through the door and going into a place that you shouldn't and, you know, slipping into something disturbing. I think that mix makes it really great on this list. And I think what we're trying to do at this point is just amp up the energy. And one thing you can never fault this movie for is being boring or unengaging or low energy, <laughs> as an ex-president <laughs> would have said. Yeah, I wonder how George C. Scott's character from The Changeling would have dealt with uh, this haunted house if you were, you know, Remember when the craziest places. thing that happened was like one wheelchair moved around? <laughs> yeah, a wheelchair moved yeah. around. He heard some weird bangings, which could have easily been written off as like old pipes and yeah a I'd ball rolled down some stairs <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i think that's a good launch point for okay what does happen in this movie because we've talked about look at gifs for a while but i think the the best way to start that off would be again what doesn't like happen our, in this movie you mean? yeah well that's a, that's not a long <laughs> yeah but uh i think we could just say i don't um, remember a boat Aren't we all just a, they're on a raft at that one point? I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> but I think we should all draft who we are in this group of girls. And I, I, it's just like Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff all over again, where everyone's name of the seven girls is based off of their very archetypical personality, which some of them. <laughs> are funny and some of them are more normal but you know there's the the smart girl named prof that makes sense but there's also the girl who's just named mac because she eats all the time that's fun <laughs> um but let me see if i can name I the really rest for a memory stomach i didn't know if it was big mac you know who knows i thought it was that but, too i read it was short for stomach 
Like, that's a little disappointing. <laughs> like, like that in you know in, in Jamie likes it. So that's they, funny. They they put like an English word word in as a joke, like that they use like stomach as like someone who's like oh, really hungry. That's even like ruder than word. before. All right, so from memory, the rest of the gang with Mac and Prof, they're led by Gorgeous, obviously because oh, she's yes. gorgeous, a pretty yeah. lady. That's her. That's her whole vibe. Not nearly as gorgeous as her new stepmom, who gets that beautiful yeah. fan. Yeah, that's a tough that's a tough uh, act to follow. Then we've got Sweet, who's just nice enough. Uh, we've got Melody, who plays piano. We have Fantasy, who goes into fantasy dream sequences all the time. And then we've got, am I at six? Yeah. And then at seven, we've got my gal, Kung Fu, <laughs> who is just an absolute martial arts master. So with with the best the best theme music, I think. Yeah, yeah. She 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 runs the show and keep this movie's pulse alive. But of that list, who you draft in? It's like Pokemon. We can't repeat. You know, there's only there's I mean, only, uh, for Kung that. Fu is the one that everyone wants to be, in my opinion, because you get your own theme song. You have essentially superpowers and you have a way to defend yourself against all this stuff. And everyone like just cheers you and expects you to solve all their problems by kicking it. Although I feel like I'd be like Mac. I'd be the one that gets wow. killed off screen. They'd find my head and they'd say, oh, he went to go eat something. And then he died. Are you hungry so right now? What's going on? I am actually you? very hungry. I'm okay. <laughs> I see what's inspiring. I'm, I'm like, I'm <laughs> coordinating my seamless and this once we finish. I'm going to like it's click it once we're wrapping up. Yeah. I think I'm going to draw so. fantasy. I like fantasy. Fantasy actually lasts longer than you think. I think she's like the last living girl not the final girl that per se because it's kind of gorgeous becomes the bad guy but uh fantasy just doing her dream sequences being pretty chill throughout all this living a while but through no actual effort of their own just by circumstance <laughs> and along with jamie you know after you watch the movie you do want to pick kung fu but none of us can claim that for ourselves yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm definitely not kung fu and as much as i would in my head want to be melody but I can't play the piano and don't really have any of those skills. I think, I think I'm just going sweet. You're sweet, man. I knew it. Sweet. I, I'm just sweet. I, I thought just... I thought we would be those three. I just didn't know which. You know. Would be yeah. yeah. So I'm glad we did this. I wanted you to say gorgeous. <laughs> you needed so a girl true. named Ghostbuster. Oh, hey, Ghostbuster. <laughs> she she went to a different school. High school. High school. Me would have would have tried for for gorgeous, but. But aged me knows I'm I'm just sweet. Yeah, you know that's not a bad place to be. You get eaten by a mattress. But um, <laughs> but let's go one at a time. I think one at a time talking about the fates of each of these girls is a good way of almost discussing the plot because the way that this goes is the aunt ends up being you know kind of a possessed body with a cat that represents the evil force of this house of a woman whose husband didn't come back from World War II, so now when unmarried women come to her house, the house eats them. That's what's going on. And it's very bizarre in description and it's even more bizarre visually. But what happens, let's try to go in order. I know the first one, JB, is is Mac, right? She's the first body count. She goes to retrieve a watermelon and does not return. <laughs> she becomes the watermelon. And then they find her severed flying head. Which, which I never thought of this before, but that makes total sense that you could just store stuff down in a well if you don't have a fridge. 
Yeah, well, honestly, not going to start because look what happened to her. She got her True. head cut off, which True. flies through the air and bites someone on the butt, which is fun. Well, I guess. Just, uh, you guys have to come up as a new homeowner. I do have a well, so we'll put a watermelon in there, leave Jamie out in the woods and see what happens. Put a, put a grade on that shit. You're getting Sadako or a watermelon, and I'm not taking yeah. that deal. So, um, And then I think we drop... Uh, we drop sweet next, I think, and she she gets eaten by a mattress. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Um, well, we get gorgeous gets possessed right before that. But I, I consider her kind of still being corporally around, but she's just yeah. kind of joined the other team. Yeah, um, and then sweet sweet gets you know pillows, mattresses. For some reason, all of her clothes taken off and becomes a doll. That's true. And then I guess we don't see where Max Head goes. Max Head then turns back into a watermelon, unfortunately. Right. It's one of the classic, classic situations. And then I think we really kind of skip ahead to Melody then. Like the, the, the house starts to go wild from there. That's when it's like, we know we're locked in this house. We know something supernatural is happening. And the girls are going kind of nuts. And Melody's trying to calm everybody down. And that's the famous scene where... She kind of gets her hands bitten by the piano and then kind of gobbled up by the piano. And that's the first example of like an absolute strobe light, blue screen, chroma keyed nonsense kind of jiffable moment that you would see in this movie as she kind of like laughs while being devoured and, and becoming part of the house and like a ghost, which, you know. Maybe cost a few seizures. Yeah, you know, it's like the Incredibles too. You know, you gotta have a warning on this. Then I can't remember who's next down though. I mean, it's it's a crowded field, but is it is it Prof? Is that the next one? Well, yeah, because when when they go upstairs to figure out what's going on with Melody when she gets eaten, and then and there's a a giant the giant head appears of gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Well, Prof, yeah, and Prof goes to yeah sees Gorgeous and then sees Sweet in the grandfather clock. Right, like you do. Yeah, being turned. Kung Fu's into- next, right? Because she tries to kill. <laughs> she tries a, a flying oh, she, kick. At she the, tries to break them out at the painting. Then, right, and she does eating. fight like a skeleton, and like she does a and good job. Blanche. Like we're not, we're not putting. Kung Fu aside here, it's not a good contributor. Like she, she did her best. A good battle, yeah. And then yeah. she gets eaten by like a, a lamp and yeah. <laughs> her legs still are able to disconnect and do a flying kick on their own yeah. of a picture of Blanche, the beautiful cat. And that is what starts kind of the finale yep. of the movie. Yep. She, she kills, she kills Blanche painting cat thing, which fills the room with blood that then, Prof is floating on the floor tiles and gets eaten by the jar with teeth. Right. And dissolves. <laughs> Anyone listening to this who has not seen the movie is like, what the fuck are they talking what, about? The, the, it sounds like we just said, want to do the, one of the world's worst improv routines. And just yeah. like, all right, all right, all right. Let's just, you know, we can mute this from the podcast or we can make it clear. Let's make up fantasy's death and all agree with each other and see if it sounds any different. I'll start. This is a crazy and then of mad course, gap. Yeah, yeah. The the chimney actually flies into the room, disconnecting from the house, wraps itself around fantasy, and lights her on fire like an actual log in a chimney. And she turns into ash, which then turns into a smiley face. 
Like that's I made that up, but it sounds you know you could have fooled. <laughs> yeah, fooled I actually was you, almost like, wait, did that happen? Like, <laughs> wait, are you, it was did so you start like, the bit oh, yet? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. I was like, no, the fire was earlier. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, guys, I already talked about that. But no, honestly, uh, you know, the least or the most surprising thing is that um, you know fantasy just kind of gets away, holds uh, gorgeous, who is definitely possessed, and gorgeous kind of does a sweet sixteen wink at the camera with a sparkle effect implying that you know off-camera fantasy is next and until the until the next morning you know so that no chimney but uh you know that's for the that's for house two house two renovations second story (laughs) all right but either works but yeah then you know her hot stepmom comes in wind blowing in her hair and you know she she meets her new stepdaughter who's wearing a little kimono and looking ghostly and says, my friends will be up soon and they're hungry. Another little wink nod, you know, and that's that's basically it. The only other element that we don't really mention in terms of plotting is that they have kind of a bumbling group of guys who are called as kind of their rescuers that just don't ever show up and just eat. Yes. <laughs> so that's like a completely oh, yeah, superfluous the, element. Yeah. Mr. The teacher who, I I... It's strange. His his storyline is like hilarious, yet you're kind of uninterested in what's going on because it takes so long to turn into anything, and then it turns into bananas. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, I I completely forgotten about that. It was like, why is he screaming about bananas in his car? What's going on? And then just you lose that whole timeline for five ten minutes and you cut back to it and he's just bananas with a hat and glasses <laughs> <laughs> don't worry god that's what thinking yeah. of all the stuff in this movie it cracks me up it's so silly. it's fun and it, you know what like it, it made me laugh again but it also like did you know something like this or something like Mulholland Drive typically sticks with me in terms of just like a general sense of dread or disease uneasiness whatever the right word would be for because the atmosphere it develops much longer than something that's formulaic so i i I give it that credit (laughs) i definitely think it's worth a watch and i think it's definitely something that adds like an extra shot of something that hasn't been mixed in any you know the cocktail of this list yet it's a new ingredient that i think is definitely a deserved one if you think about this mixtape that we've made and like looking back on it it's almost like and if I don't know who is listening or who will listen to this, but there's an element of like, if they're actually a truly following this, like we are kind of, I don't want to say forcing, but we're, you know, we're making them watch a certain, certain films that maybe they wouldn't have watched before. And I think it was great on our part to include a film that is. Good job, us. Yeah, yeah good job, us. Pat ourselves <laughs> on the back. High yeah. fives all around. Uh, but no, but just like, you know, just something a little more. I mean, not even a little well beyond the mainstream outside, like very art house, you know, like people wouldn't really visit this film without being compelled or maybe having a reason for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't have watched it again this year if we weren't trying to. And, it, and it's something to, mm-hmm. to re, you know, I got a lot more out of it this time and appreciated stuff that I connected, like its influence. And I think it's it's definitely something that deserves to be more than just like a commonly worn T-shirt, you know. So and I think that's <laughs> yeah. something, too, that we'll talk about and we'll hint more about it tomorrow, maybe about like what didn't make the list and kind of our discussion of that. And there's a version of this list you've seen a 100 times, right? Like that's kind of in even in the trailer, this that has like 
a bunch of Jason movies, a bunch of Freddy movies, a bunch of Michael Myers movies, and a bunch of other routine horror movies that are well acclaimed. Yeah. And like everything on cable. Right. We're <laughs> yeah. here to just offer our suggestions of what flows well together, but then also what like specifically hits a Halloween vibe that we're, you know, going for. But I think another criteria that we tried to really factor into this is like, look at the lore, <laughs> you know, like we're really trying to offer things that will offer a month that brings you new perspective or brings you into something that's not like a routine visit for you, because that's fun in a month of a lot of retreads that are common anyway to just interject something new and something fun, something that, you know, at least deserves a reanalysis. And that was be- beneficial for us even making the podcast. Yeah. And speaking of the lore, this film I feel like is so close to having a musical section. Like there's, there's a few moments where I'm like, if, if someone just started singing right now, I am all in. I'm ready for wherever we're going. Melody tries to bring it in and she's like, come on, everybody. And then a piano eats. (laughs) No, never mind. Never mind. Blanche could have had a solo at some point and it would have been great. Like with a little animated mouth, just like a frozen still frame of the cat and like a little animated mouth. She does get, she does get her little, you know, dance mini scene going up and down on the piano, like the, like dance dancing around it's very whatever that is jingle cats it's very similar to that yeah i i I wrote on letterbox follow me on letterbox of course but um you know she's like the first meme cat you know like uh, you know that that whole sequence she she started the trend and like that's she's a beautiful cat i just want to make that clear and she makes a great poster but i think she adds like a special substance to this because like you know outside of monster house or something well she closed doors what? She can close doors. Oh yeah, okay. I thought you said behind closed doors. It's like Blanche. What do you say? Um, other than like monster houses, it's like hard to have like a personified haunted house as kind of your image of the movie, and having her as kind of like the soul of the house. Or it it helps to ground a very ungroundable movie in a way. And she's equal parts sinister and funny, you know, and, and like somebody that's a meme cat. So I think that's like a very good element to have in here to you know have some totem some you know actual physical object to ground the the mystery and the horror of what's happening other than just like an occasional grandfather clock or piano or something you know it, it, we need something to look at that's centered yeah and jumping back to the small musical moments i didn't really dig deep into this but something that caught my ear on this watch was I'm pretty sure at least some of the initial note progression of what Melody is playing on the piano is what starts off My Chemical Romance's The Black Parade. I had, I kid you not, the exact same thought during this. Yeah, like like I know whatever note that is, it's It's definitely it. It's definitely it. (laughs) Yeah. What if Blanche had been like, when I was yeah, a young boy? Oh, man, that's a, it that's was, a version. It's I one know. of those moments where it, it hits you. As I'm watching it, that note hit me, and I'm like, I wait, I know this. Why do I know this? Yeah. Why am I crying? <laughs> <laughs> Why am I putting on eyeliner? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure Jared Way has seen this movie a million times. He's yeah. inspired tons of tons whatever. Of stuff. whatever. I mean, yeah, look at the comic he writes. I mean, it's got a plenty of crazy shit. Like yes, yeah. This. yeah. yeah. I, all right. We're connecting a lot of dots here that House yeah. hasn't gotten credit for it and we're going to give it to him. So, I mean, this is 1977. We got we got meme cats, we got 
reactions to Hiroshima. We've got Black Parade. We've got it's just nuts. The effects, the every. It's just like you could put. You could just put this banana man in hats. Yeah, you got a banana man. Like how is banana man not a TikTok? Like this, you could just put these things on there. That's our John Oliver style hashtag. Like make banana man a TikTok. Yeah. I'm gonna put that on this episode when I post it on Instagram. Make banana man a TikTok, and somebody will do it for us. But there's like how yeah how is there not a series of people being like my cat's Blanche and just like you look over and it's a white cat and it gets a little like boo boo green eye <laughs> yeah that's that's uh, under underdone Blanche is a very popular f- name amongst filmmakers for their cats though I'll say that yeah also called Snowball in some versions I've heard you know because uh, I got some confused like. I, I saw some confused comments online with people like Blanche. It's like, are you watching Golden Girls? It's like, so if yeah. you watch the version <laughs> where they were saying Snowball, it's the cat, but Blanche, I mean, better name for it. Come on, come on, guys. Like, we we know what, it, I don't know what it is in Japanese, but but Blanche is the way to go. I would be interested in letting this movie wash over me once in just full in Japanese too. And just Yeah, I was thinking that, Chris. Like, would this movie make as much sense <laughs> if we hadn't had it without subtitles? I probably because it's very not only because it's inexplicable, like it's very well telegraphed that it's about World War Two anxieties and frustrations and pain and anger. And like the you would lose the bluntness of some of their names. But that's yeah, it's it. like their names are already what they do anyway. Like, oh, piano person is named like basically piano person. You know? So, well, I don't think it's much. much. As much as it's from the child of a mind, you could think of it as it's like an explanation to a ch- like to a child like chris said you know it's a, a pop-up book so it literally like the, maybe the, the words might not be as necessary and like it is such an experiential movie of just things just like being thrown at you and popping at you that i'm i think it would be interesting like you could remove that element of like that you know the dialogue essentially and still be experiencing the movie in the way that it was intended to like, I don't think the, the dialogue is not the selling point of this movie. It helps a little bit to establish that goofy tone with how, you know, just quintessentially like Japanese school girly giddy they are at the beginning and how that turns on a, on a head. But, you know, it, all of the really core like thematic material is just like telegraphed very well visually. So I, I don't think you'll miss too much. Yeah, you would just miss that that initial setup of their teacher who's having the arranged marriage kind of giving the little like, yeah, fuck you to you kids who don't have to deal with these traditional <laughs> things anymore. Like the next generation has it a little different than us. Okay, go have your summer vacation. And that's why we're mad at TikTokers right now, right? So that's yeah. that's our version of this. Because uh, I don't get it. <laughs> well, I think that's, uh, you know, we're, we'll try to go for 45 since this movie is under 90 minutes. So <laughs> you can have some time to maybe check it out. But what do we have... Uh, in store for us tomorrow. I mean, tomorrow, I think we are very much in conversation with the afterlife and the pain of staying present on Earth when dealing with something that's moved on into the afterlife and how you need to survive to stay on this plane of existence. It's like Ghost, 
but it's not Ghost. <laughs> so, People are thinking it's, it's going to be this insane, dramatic film, and they're going to be like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I see the connective tissue, but it's yeah. also the start of Halloween weekend. So it's- This is a Friday night. We're not- Yeah, you know, we're going to party. There's not we're too much party. subtext. Yeah. yeah. They're going to be making a cocktail, and then they're going to be like, oh, I actually needed like 100 beers for this movie. Yeah. So yeah. Never mind. No. So yeah. put that in put mind back, when you're doing put, your drizzle. Put the wine back. But beautifully said, Chris. There is that connection, so. And, and that's something I just- I don't know. I feel like I want to reiterate on this film. I you really don't get that till the second or third watch. It felt for me the first yeah. time. You just have fun with it. Really, it's really worth coming back a second time and understanding why Obayashi is using these types of effects to tell a story that's almost too depressing and dark to deal with. Honestly. Mm-hmm. And on that note, go get a 30 rack. <laughs> yeah. <it's a> mark. <laughs> so speaking of the historical fallout of, of and literal fallout of World War II, let's get drunk for yeah. tomorrow. So can't wait for tomorrow to yeah. uh, have a little deal with death in a lighter way. Let's talk yeah. about it that way. Let's get into this yeah. weekend, guys. We're almost there. Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking. Like, well, that's when you were saying, like, what is like the raw, honest way of telling it? It's like, oh, well, that's when we do yeah. it. And that's even an At animated. At least it's film. animated. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, either way, it's going to be a party from here on out. We're going to have a ton of fun. Nothing else will be too much of an intellectual stretch. So if you're a little inebriated this weekend, that is okay. Yeah, we're so excited to to the Halloween weekend personally, and we're excited to enter it with you. And, uh, you know, by this point, we're already seeing kind of our our following develop and we we love y'all and we are happy to be uh, stepping into the holiest of holy weekends with you tomorrow.